0: 19 episodes, over 800 minutes, oh yeah, 100 first contacts, 0 of which you remember, oh yeah, 4 shats, and 100 gross of self-sealing stem bolts, oh yeah, it's time to end this total mess of a season.
1: Alright, hello and welcome to the Rules of Acquisition, the best podcast the best podcast. There, There, that's all we got. <laughs> we are the best buddy. A podcast where we will be going through every single episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And we've just gone through every single episode of the first season. And it has been fun, I think. It's, I've had a lot of fun doing mm-hmm. this. Me too. And now we are done. We're done with the first season in any case. This is episode 19 of season one. I am Wade Bowen, and with me is James Nolan and Hugh Crawford.
2: Hello, gentlemen.
1: And yeah, that's what we're getting into. I hope you've enjoyed listening to us so far. We're going to keep going, but right now we'll just jump into this,
2: all right? All right. We're talking about In the Hands of the Prophets. This episode is the last episode of season one. It originally aired on June 20th, 1993. The IMDB description is as follows. Vedic win... A candidate in the race for the open Kai position stirs up trouble on DS9 when she attempts to boycott Keiko's school for not teaching Bajoran religious beliefs. And boy, is that an understatement. Yeah. The actress that plays Vedic Wynn was, we referred to her before as Nurse Ratchet. Her actual name is...
1: Louise Fletcher. I apologize for (laughs) not remembering her name. Louise Fletcher. I, I met her
2: in person once. Yes. And she is, she comes on DS9, like right off the bat, the first scene, she pops up in Keiko's school. She wants to be the new space pope. Mm -hmm. The old space pope is dead. Long live the space pope. I think everybody will remember that the Bajoran space pope died and then was reanimated on the Gamma Quadrant planet Mm -hmm. that's also a penal colony. Is that, is that correct? It's technically a moon. Yeah. It's a moon, I believe. It's not a planet. Oh, it's a moon. That's right.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But she gets to spend eternity hanging out with Jonathan Banks from Breaking Bad. While they kill each other. Yeah. Which
2: there are worse ways there, to go. There, than
3: there that. are worse ways to go. He's
2: yeah. uh, so dreamy. All right, guys. <laughs> yeah. What did you guys think of this episode? I loved,
1: loved, loved, loved this episode. I really liked this episode. <laughs> tell
2: me you hated it. <laughs> <laughs> tell, me, <laughs> tell me you hated it, you <laughs> Come on, tell me. Okay, so I hated 80% of this episode. Really? <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah, what? I hate. Okay, it's nothing. Because it was or- all
1: about O'Brien and his wife. Is that why? Because <laughs> you hate O'Brien?
2: <laughs> well, I'm not gonna deny it. there's that aspect to it. No, but what happened is, is that I felt like it goes in one direction where you think that you're getting preached to some sort of modern allegory for evolution, school, teaching
3: evolution in school, right?
2: Yeah, right. And it's sort of like ten minutes into this episode, you you kind of like breathe heavy. And you're like, oh god, I see where they're going with this. And what makes this so good in the last ten minutes? you realize it's about something completely different. Is it? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. (laughs) Well, it's about a crazy
3: woman trying to take
2: over, yeah. Yes, it's about power, and it's about somebody trying, seeing a power vacuum, and making a very calculated maneuver to try to seize power.
1: Yeah, but also intricately involved with the religion
2: aspect of it. Sure, it's there. Which I like. But not everybody folds their arms at the end of it and says, well, everything's back, the station's back to normal at the end. You know what I mean? Oh, no, no, no. That's
1: That's what I like about it. It plays with the nuances because it, it is about, this is like fucking Scopes Monkey Trial, the Star Trek version.
2: But nothing is resolved. A bunch of questions are raised and a, about the time that you feel like they would come to some sort of safe and pat resolution, at the end something completely different happens. Which you, you find out that Vedic Win Vedic Nguyen probably doesn't give two shits about religion on that station. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a play to lure somebody there for an assassination. There's some cold blooded shit was going on to become the new space folk.
3: It was a really complicated plot,
1: right? But that's what religions do sometimes.
3: Well, no, I, I liked the really complicated plot element.
1: Yes. Yeah, me too. My
3: favorite thing about it is how tightly, for the first half of the story, there is this B story that's this really involved murder mystery Mm -hmm. that seems oddly disconnected to the whole thing. Yes. And it seems kind of jarring because you have this crazy shit going on in the school with Keiko that doesn't seem like small beans. It seems like you have all of these dissension in the ranks, and Kira seems to, you know, seems like this is the third episode that's tried to make Kira seem to have these nefarious, divided loyalties. Yes. And this is the first time I think it's ever been done all season that's been done effect exactly. hmm because it was, so it's, it's kind of sneaky, creepy, and she doesn't have to say a lot. Yeah,
1: right. She's on the other side, and you have this A plot and B plot. And you know what? This way, you could almost go back to the storyteller episode we had, where the B plot and the A plot were totally separate, mm-hmm. and it was annoying. But at the same time, if you think going into this show that the A plot and the B plot might be totally separate, then maybe that helps disguise the fact it did of what is actually going on.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. With that
1: the murder mystery is totally separate then there's religious stuff so you don't you don't lock them together that was that was a strength and that way the show is genius but it's not you're
2: saying it's genius i think that's just a happy accident
1: oh it, oh no i said it's it's almost genius but it's just a happy accident.
2: oh yeah i definitely think it's just a happy accident look we were so shitty at tying things together throughout this whole season you didn't expect it here at the end, but here it is.
3: Oh, I, I totally agree that they. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They yeah. called in a good writer for this episode, which is it was written by um, Robert Hewitt Wolfe, who I think was one of the first sort of guys to come over from Next Generation. He's also the guy that I think just created out of whole cloth the Dominion. Oh, really? So, I mean, we're talking about a, a writer, a young writer who gave a lot to the show over the course of of the, of the series. Oh, and yeah. This is like the first thing he really wrote for it. This season. So, yeah, I think you have, like, this is where you start getting that phase of that young, hungry writers that are coming in with big ideas that are eager to take it away from Next Generation. So that you're not just doing Next Generation stories. And I think this is...
1: Yeah, this mm-hmm. this is definitely not a Next Generation story. No. This, this is an intricate... This is a very adult, very fully realized, complex story. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that's been done before in Star Trek. But at the same time, it's still a pretty Star Trek story about how do you deal with all these ideologies clashing and everything. But it's not something that Star Trek has actually clashed heads with yet. Yeah, Which is great.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, how much just in the beginning do you think? Because one of the things that I wrote on this episode is this is probably just on the face of it, the most sort of liberal bent episode
2: we've had of Star Trek so far. Oh, wow. See, I could, I think that you could look at it the other way too. That it was oh, really, no, mm-hmm. because I think that the, I, I think if you're a
3: fundamental. I think this show is on Keiko's side
2: to like a. Oh, I disagree.
3: I mean, Nurse Ratchet is a crazy person who's, like, a, op- opposed to her. Well, what I think that it... She is. I think that it shows Keiko... But is,
2: she's not entirely wrong when it, eh,
3: I'm not saying she's not totally wrong.
2: Well,
1: I think it does a good job of setting the scales where you do have Kaiwen on the one side, and then you have the people that believe Kaiwen, like Kira and everybody else, and then you have Keiko saying no. But I think the linchpin of this whole thing is Cisco, Because I fucking agree with Cisco that it's not a disagreement between 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 the religion and the order or whatever. Science and religion don't disagree. And he even sits down and tells Jake, no, don't say it's stupid. It perfectly makes sense, but they're coming from it from a different space. Right.
3: Yeah, but you're still, like, concept that there would be... Even Cisco is like, you know, we're here to to bridge this sort of partnership. But what he says to Kira is, I'm not going to put up with this bullshit. We're not going to have two schools, a Bajoran school and a non-Bajoran school. Oh, yeah. We're not going to do this, and we're not going to compromise not just federation principles, but just sort of general non-Bajoran principles for the education, of uh, specifically of the science classroom. Right, right. And yeah, I think that the show backs up, let's say, Keiko's claim because we got to see the first episode. We know that that these are just alien entities that don't give a shit about the Bajoran people. I think that we see the prophets in a much more material light than the Bajorans do. So it backs up Keiko's point of view in just the context of what we know of the show.
1: Okay, so this is where I disagree with you. I think Cisco disagrees with you.
3: I believe that Cisco disagrees with me, too. I just don't think the show does. (laughs)
1: That's where this show has the better perspective because it has an objective perspective that the prophets do exist. Mm -hmm. And if you were to experience the prophets, you would think that viewing the prophets as prophets versus aliens is just a matter of perspective, which is Cisco's point of view. Mm -hmm. And also, the religious point of
2: view, as far as I'm concerned, without the weird, crazy... Power plays. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mad paragraphs or whatever. Mm -hmm. But let me ask you this, James. You think that the thesis of the show is at odds with what the main character firmly believes oh let me uh, hold on because what i think wade is saying that cisco would disagree with you and you say yeah i'm sure he would but the show agrees with me so i yeah, just I'm saying that i think that
3: what he is doing is he is playing when he gave that speech to jake that was a call to tolerance Not necessarily a
1: point of view. I totally disagree with you. I think you're
3: totally wrong on that. Really? I think that as of right now, I think that Sisko believes that he encountered an alien race. Well, he
1: did, yeah. That has nothing to do with the perspective of whether they're the prophets or not. I
3: also think that he would not tolerate. And I don't think he at any point advocated that Keiko amend her teaching syllabus. No. To to appease a political point of view or a a religious point of view. And I think it's because he doesn't doesn't see it that way
1: either. Well, appeasing the religious point of view, that's the orthodox version of that religion, Mm -hmm. but you don't have to appease that religious point of view to have it in step with that religion, I think is his whole point. He's against fundamentalism and to an orthodox degree to where you have to discount the objective facts and basis, but he's not against a people being religious and seeing things from a different perspective in their own philosophy. You're right.
3: And I think that I'm, I'm arguing at a disadvantage because we've all seen the whole show. I'm just talking from this show itself. No, no I know. But I, like I said, I feel like I'm arguing at a disadvantage because I believe that the, the story goes in areas where I do believe that there's more to the prophets than just material aliens. And I think the show sort of deals with that, too. But I think from what you've seen from it this far, I think that the show is specifically supposed to make you feel disgusted at the religious orthodoxy in the classroom. Oh, sure. And I don't think that the show necessarily, I don't think Kira argues her point Greatly.
1: No, Kira's... I think she has a point... I actually think she does. Kira's point of view kind of sucks. She doesn't. Until the end, she turns... I think
3: that Kira has a point when she says that science is a philosophy if it's not backed by... I get that. That's fine. That, I, right.
2: That was right off the bat. Yeah. And she did make... I mean, that was a clear point. She actually... Foucault would have made that point. Yeah, that's a shitty... She brought that up. She made it very clear
1: early. Did she bring that up or did the writers bring that up? Because that didn't feel like a thing. That like scientism is a philosophy. They felt like they were putting Kira into that position without dealing with the whole nuance of the character because it felt like, oh, we have to prop her up as this point of view for the use of the show.
2: Yeah. We didn't get any resolution either way because they pivoted on us yeah. and made it about a motivation for a power grab. They do. That's the thing is that yeah. we don't get any sort of resolution.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they I did. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's just start sh- going through this episode from the very beginning and just let's break it down well, before we start arguing. Well,
3: ab- before we even do that, I just I think that the show, the things that I'm reading in trivia, the show had a bad disadvantage going into it. They knew about this script leading four episodes before they started. Oh, yeah. And they knew that they wanted this Neela character in the show. Yeah. So they tried to you remember four weeks ago when we made a reference to O'Brien's chesty co-worker?
1: Oh, I was gonna bring this up at the end of the episode because yeah. I noticed This as well. Well, She
3: was a different actress, and she's she was supposed to be Neela, and they hated her, and they fired her. I don't know why. Uh huh. And so then the next step, you remember, like they showed that awkward scene. I that I even said last week that there was a scene between O'Brien and his coworker that had no fucking point in the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was why. It's so that you see Neela, the new actress, Neela. You see her face before this episode. Well,
2: that was completely confusing. Yeah.
3: So the sexual tension between O'Brien and her had some root in other episodes. And I think the show was even doing a shell game and trying to make you think that maybe we're kind of sidelining Dax and putting her up in a Dax-like position
1: in the show. I don't know about the Dax-like position, but I totally noticed his apprentice and that they had set that up. And I mm-hmm. have things to say about that later, Okay. just in the context of show running and TV and whatnot, in this context of this show at
2: this time. So
3: going into this episode, they wanted Neela to be a much better established character than she ended up being.
2: Very interesting. So it is okay. kind of like out but We of should foot. also mention that this is another episode where at the minute 29 mark, Dax has her first line. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I think cool. when I was watching this, I texted one of you guys and said, me. And, <laughs> and said no Dax has finally got a line in this episode.
3: I think she was getting fired.
2: Oh, I wrote down every
1: Dax line in this episode, and I can probably tell them to you by the end of this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it won't take long.
3: I think she was clearly getting fired.
1: Yeah, well, that's another thing I wrote down to talk about at the end of this. <laughs> yeah.
3: Yeah. Bashir maybe too. Is Bashir even in this? I don't know if I can remember Bashir being in this
1: Bashir's episode. Bashir's in this episode. He has oh, more to do. So he
3: can talk about the goo. He's got to talk about the goo.
1: Yeah. His lines have more to do with his position than Dax's do. Right.
2: She yeah, is, spouts she's just spouts babble to.
1: Yeah. She's she's totally throwaway. His lines at least relate to him being a doctor.
2: Yeah. There's no quirk either, is there?
1: Quirk and Nodo have a great scene.
3: Oh, the scene about the how the religious people of Bajor love the Dabo girls. That's right.
1: That's why I want to start from the beginning and just go through this episode scene by yeah. scene. Okay. Okay, let's go. We start off talking with <laughs> O'Brien and his wife. And his jumjaw stick. Talking about the jumja tree yes. and the turtle penises, <laughs> and it's full of vitamin C that's really good for you. You should yes. try it. Like a guy commit convincing a girl to take a shot to the face or something. <laughs> I'm sorry I even said that because that's gross, but uh, <laughs> it's good for your skin. I, don't uh, I, sorry. I do I'm agree so sorry. that the jump yeah, so stick
2: is used as a You just down on the grossness. <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I do believe that
3: the jump Josh stick is supposed to be a dick metaphor in that scene. I honestly believe that, and I believe that that, sh- that had a sexual chemistry between Keiko and O'Brien that you don't normally see between those two actors.
1: Yeah, I only brought it up because you referred to it as a turtle penis. It was not te- <laughs> When Jake and <laughs> Nog were getting him on the promenade. And then you walk away and Keiko is giving O'Brien shit about Neela. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I love Neela. And then he's like, wait a minute, are you jealous? And she's like, I'm just fucking just with you. Just keeping
3: you on you your toes.
1: Yeah, keeping you on your toes, O'Brien. Which then he says later on. <laughs> He Mm -hmm. said, stay on your toes, O'Brien. And people like to rat on Keiko as being a shrew and everything. I like this episode with her. Yeah, I think Keiko's Keiko's the best. She's great.
3: They should fire Dax and put Keiko on the show. Yeah,
1: right. (laughs) So I like that scene. And then Mm -hmm. we go straight to Keiko in the school, in the singularity. And she gets the wormhole was discovered by Commander Sisko and Dax. The first Mm -hmm. reference of Dax in this whole episode. Gets credit for Ooh. finding the wormhole. And then all the Bajoran kids are idiots and can't answer any questions, but only Jake can. <laughs>
3: well, his dad did meet the face of gods.
1: So. <laughs> yeah, but none of them can answer what is special about this wormhole. It's a stable wormhole. We all know that. Right.
3: Yeah, I think maybe they had to pay the kids more if they gave him lines.
1: Uh, that's probably right. So. And the wormhole is stable because of Verterons, apparently. Awesome. If we're getting all nerd- nerdy and Star Trek about it, but who cares? Inverterons, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a new
3: one. So yeah, so she's like, we all agree that she comes off as full, crazy, like Phyllis Schlafly type sort of crazy person.
2: So You're talking about Vedic Gwynn. Is that who you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Well, who's, who's Phyllis Schlafly?
3: Phyllis Schlafly. Crazy, white-wing woman from the 70s and 80s. Okay. She's St. Louis based, so
1: okay. I know a little bit more about her. She's like a fundamentalist Christian kind of. She story. was like
3: the Ann Coulter of the seventies.
1: Oh, so okay.
3: yeah, and was very Christian. Um, but yeah, it was supposed to be like I, I think it was supposed to turn the wormhole and the teaching of the wormhole into a Darwin-like sort of evolution issue, like you were seeing like Scopes monkey trial or whatever. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that automatically it's putting it... And they even tie it to Evolution later on, Keiko does. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think that immediately you're supposed to think of that. And I think you're supposed to be just reflexively on Keiko's side. Oh, yeah. It doesn't help that you, you cast Nurse Ratchet, who is one of the great movie monsters of all time, to play her. Right. <laughs>
1: so And actually, it took me to the second time viewing this episode where I realized... She's basically playing Nurse Ratchet again.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Soft spoken. Space Ratchet. Yeah. Soft spoken so, and
1: playing her role as seemingly compassionate, but actually being a cold hearted bitch. Yeah. She's kind
3: of got <laughs> that, like, sort of, she's got that cornered in the. Yeah. She's just basically playing Nurse Ratchet. Right, right. But she's pretty good at it, I think. Oh, she's the best. She's the best at playing that kind of person.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then in that shot where uh, Cisco walks in to finally meet Nurse Ratchet, it's all symmetrical where he's going in. I actually like that shot a lot, where she's in the chapel or whatever, and he walks into the middle and to meet Nurse Ratchet wearing the Sydney Opera House on her head which is her costume. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Why does she have to wear that, but the other Kai doesn't, or the other Vedic doesn't? Different sex, right?
1: Because she's she's from an orthodox order. Because he's like from the liberal order. He's like a reformed, he's a reformed Jew. She's ultra-orthodox. Yeah,
3: she's like Pope Benedict.
1: Basically. We've already sold this as Space Israel. She's the Hasidic. Uh. He's the reformed guy that's pretty cool.
3: I was going to go space, space Benedict versus space. Um, What's the new one's name? What's yeah, name? yeah,
1: yeah. See, I, I read them more as
2: Jews than. The, oh, really? Even though she's the space. Well, pope. there's a monk aspect to his order that they talk about. So I think it's supposed to be a mishmash of, of a couple. Oh, it's
1: things. everything. It's everything, mm-hmm. definitely. But, you know, giving their occupation and everything, there's definitely the monk Buddhist thing. But they can fuck, Right. Yeah, well, exactly. It doesn't relate one-to-one to everything, yeah. but she's mm-hmm. definitely orthodox. Even when when Cisco meets her in the chapel, she doesn't just grab his earlobe. She grabs the whole fucking ear. And he's like, don't call me emissary. And, and then she goes on the street preaching and like, I forgive you, which is like the most infuriating thing you can say to a person. She's the worst. Yeah, she's just awful. Yeah, yeah. And then they go into... Oh, when we get to evolution, we'll we'll deal with it. Mm. But then when he goes to visit Vedic Baral or whatever, he doesn't even grab the ear. No, it's a he. He's irritated by that shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that they're supposed to.
3: set... I mean, obviously they're setting up. We know from having watched the show that they're setting up Vedic Baral like a.
1: Yeah, Beryl. As,
3: like, a good guy. Um, I kind of wish they'd cast a better actor. He kind of plays it as, like, the Robotron.
2: Yeah, a little bit. I
3: am of the order. I cannot help you with it. You
2: know, like, he's he's very... And for everybody's reference, isn't that the actor that plays in Mad Men, Betty's second husband?
3: No, is it? No. Is it really? Oh, I gotta look that up. It looks like it. It might not be him. No, 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 I don't think it is. But you're right, it does, he does. He looks like it. He does, and he has that sort of, because, uh, cause what was his name? Francis? Henry Francis? Henry Francis. Yeah, he had that sort of <laughs>
1: Before we get to Vedic Burrell, though, at the 15-minute mark, we finally get Dax's first line. I, I recorded it, and it's, You don't sound entirely convinced to O'Brien, and it doesn't mean anything. It's just because O'Brien is less concerned about a, his coworker dying than the fact that his coworker stole his tools.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Like, but he should have
1: asked it for it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense.
3: Oh, to go back to your point, the guy who's played Vedic Barile, his name is Philip Anglum. He is the original John Merrick from the stage production of Elephant Man. Oh, nice. He won a Tony Award in 1979 for doing it. I've actually seen his performance. Oh, wow. It's really great. Oh, wow. See you year of my birth. Yeah. Well,
2: he looks a lot like Henry Francis. Yes, he, he does. And his acting reminds me of Henry Francis, too. I mean, I was completely... Yeah.
3: So he's a better actor than he's working, than what he does... Here then, because I mean, I've seen him be good.
1: He's not, I don't think he's awful here. He's just, I don't like, think he's awful. I know
3: he's better in later episodes. I'll put it that way. I think he's a little stiff
1: in his two scenes. He's kind of white bread here. He's not the mm. worst, but he's he's not. It's hard to be amazing because he's trying to be, he's this reformed, basically Buddhist version of the religion where you have Nurse Ratchet being the orthodox. Yeah,
3: one. but to get the impact, he needs to be like the John Kennedy of Popes
1: Right, right. Because
3: in his two little scenes for this being this spoiler, fascination plot i think that like you should he should have some sort of magnetism right that carries over and it just kind of didn't
1: but yeah like he's the reformed guy cisco beams down to the planet we finally get back to the planet again and cisco bends over just to like pay tribute and just like take it like a champ where he's been over <laughs> and then barile is oh, oh i don't want i don't like doing that anyway it's an archaic ritual where he just assume he just asserts and Goes out and goes like, oh, it doesn't do anything. They're grabbing the ear. It's bullshit. Okay, I like that. (laughs) It doesn't do anything. So why are they doing it? It's just just ritual, I guess.
3: Yeah, they're squeezing this paw. Yeah. So we're close to where we start getting the A plot and B plot start proving that they intertwine. Yeah. And I think you get that close to this is around the time that I think just instinctively you feel that the camera is sort of hovering around Neela too much. Do you get that feeling? Yeah, I
2: don't know if you yeah. get that. Just yet. no, I, I I I thought that way too. I thought they were trying to be a little bit too on the nose, like pointing towards her. I didn't get that till my second watch through. Uh, I got that, that it's like tipping
3: their hand on her. Yeah,
1: I feel like that they like the, the, the where they go really overt is when they kick into the third act. But that's still three minutes. But then on the second watch, I thought actually the second time I watched it, I thought the Nila scenes were pretty subdued. Because she's kind of selling it, but I mean...
3: Yeah, I think that they do the misdirection of the sexual attraction between her and O'Brien. But I think that that was their misdirection
1: on that. Yeah, that that misdirection is pretty good, Mm -hmm. because whereas it's misdirection sexual chemistry... For her, it's like she's just feeling guilty about her shit. Yeah. And also the sexual chemistry. But I feel like for her, it's more like if you watch it, knowing what she is actually doing, that she's starting to feel guilty about like all this stuff because she's worked with these people and she likes O'Brien, maybe to a sexual degree. I don't know.
3: Yeah. Well, I think she does. Or is she does she or is she just trying to sexually manipulate him to help her get the fuck off the. Deep Space Nine, once it all goes down.
1: See, I didn't see it as her sexually manipulating him at all. I saw it as hers. She's been been this Manchurian candidate this whole time. And she has not been affiliating with the uh, Starfleet officers at all. But she's had to deal with O'Brien. And she realizes that he's actually a good guy. And so, she feels guilty about what she's been set up so to do. So it's real
3: guilt, yeah.
1: And it's real guilt, and she's like, oh, but you're you're a nice one. And he sees it as that kind of niceness and uh, affinity gets construed for, like, you know, romantic tensions and stuff. Mm. And it's, he's not totally wrong when he's he realizes that it's kind of weird and he needs to back off, watch out, O'Brien, or to himself. Yeah. But I read it mostly as her being like, I've been disconnected from these people for so long. And this guy's actually a great guy. What am I doing?
3: So we move... I mean, to move it along a little bit. Oh, the school explodes. So you get this great scene where Avery Brooks delivers this speech about the greatness of what they're trying to do there. And I really do think that, like, that was the part where I was like, yeah, like, they're salvaging the season. After all of the sort of beachiness that I've Uh, had towards it, I feel like that that's where they, like... uh, Obviously, last week's episode was amazing. But it was, like, standalone amazing. This was, like... Fuck so. like we're 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 here now.
1: Yeah. Before you even get to the explosion though, you have the Odo Quark scene. Oh yeah. <laughs> which might be my favorite scene in this whole thing. Really? Yeah. Odo comes up, it's like, oh, you don't Quark, these guys aren't any good for you. These are from an Orthodox sect for Kai Wen. They're mm-hmm. not any Quark is like, Oh, wait a minute, they're Orthodox? I need twice as many Dabo girls because the Orthodox people are the ones that are the most kinky and want the orthodox people right mm-hmm. which goes back to, from my own personal thing I live in New York now. I live in a community that's bordered by all these Hasidic Jews. The the guy wins kind of the Hasidic Jews of this show. And it's a thing that I learned when I was doing that, um... uh, Easy,
2: easy. When I was doing this
1: physical theater show where I was naked and everything and grabbing people. And I had a... I learned this from a friend I was in the show with and later a friend of mine that was a dominatrix. Uh... Nine times out of 10, when you go to a dungeon and there's a guy, somebody who either wants to be, have a Cleveland steamer or either (coughs) shit on somebody else, nine times out of 10 in New York, they're Hasidic Jews.
2: (laughs) Fun fact for those of us in the Midwest that don't know anything. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I
1: don't know. I I know. So when Quark is like, oh, they're Orthodox people, I need twice as many dab girls, that really rang true to me. <laughs> ah. Um, and it goes with the whole, like, whenever time times there's a gay myth controversy and, like, a preacher thing, it's always, like, the Pentecostal guy that's...
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Attitude. Right.
1: It's the most extreme guy. It's
3: a pretty heavy trope that, you know, like, that religious
2: people are all dirty, dirty shit.
1: Yeah, and the more repressed they are, the more kind of kinky hangups
2: they yeah. have. Where were we in this episode? Good question. Uh... <laughs> We were past the explosion, we were talking about how it was an A plus yeah. Cisco episode. Basically, Avery Brooks is knocking it out of the park. Yeah, his speech there really saves this episode.
3: Or not just saves this episode, saves this season. So and I think oh, it yeah. really
2: gets And before we get to that again, I'm
1: going back to the Quirkinodo, we have the seventh rule of acquisition. Oh yeah.
2: That's right. Keep your
1: ears open. Odo is like, you're shady. And, and Quark's like, I'm not that shady. And then Odo's like, but your friends are. I mean, then Quark's is like, yeah, but I'd gladly sell you my murderer friends for profit. And he's like, yeah, I know that. Just keep your ears open. <laughs> yes, that's the seventh rule of acquisition, which I guess is just as simple as keep your ears open. Right. Then we move on. Sorry. And then the school blows yeah, up. Yeah,
3: so the school blows up. <laughs> so I've said this speech, so I think that it that it sort of saves the season. Do you guys agree with that? I think that that scene, is, it puts like a sort of a mission statement on the show. Oh, yeah. In a way that I don't think we've seen since the first episode, about that it is about this sort of the conflict between the, the Federation and, the, and like why they're doing it and sort of what he felt like. I think that the show leads you to believe that that is finally Kira's right. buy-in. I-, I think you're right. That she's been sort of dangling on a thread, but that's her buy-in.
1: The whole show finally has an arc.
2: Yeah. Oh, I think it gets to the heart of what James was saying at the beginning of this episode of our podcast, which is that the show wanted us to believe that Keiko was the correct one. And what Cisco's speech does, it gives perspective of what the Federation is trying to achieve there. That shows that the Federation has a larger perspective and the religious people are the ones with the actual, the narrow view, only being able to see from where they're coming from And I think that's what James was—I understand when you look at that speech that you could see how the thesis of the show and what Cisco believes is.
3: That that there's a bigger view. Right. Right. That the Bajorans are—if you want to take the long view of it—that the Bajorans are trapped in a 20th century problem. Yeah. And the Federation gets to be the 24th century.
1: I think the Orthodox Bajorans are stuck in a 20th century problem. Yeah,
3: but I mean that that's like—there's the liberal forces, there's Beryl,
2: there's Kira— but there's... I don't think it's just the Orthodox, because yeah. if you look at how fast they got switched on and were manipulated into basically a religious culture war. They got the jumjah stick guy. It was there all along. All she had to do was activate it, which means it's not just the orth- Orthodox people. It's all of them having to deal with it, no matter what level they're at. If it was just Orthodox people. No,
1: Cisco comes up and in his speech it says, Nobody trusts you on Bajor. You thought you couldn't come up here and get this small community to believe what your small sect believe, but they won't. That is Cisco's thesis. Not that everybody's going to believe what you believe. It's that you are coming up here because you're weak. And trying to latch on to these people. I
2: think we're saying the same thing, just different ways. What I'm, I think, yes, of course, you're right. And then he has that whole speech with
1: Jake when his son comes up earlier and says, oh man, these Bajorans are full of shit. He's quick to shut his son down and say, stop doing that. Because if you believe that, right. you're destroying everything we're trying to do here. Right. Because they have a reason to believe what they're believing. And just because they don't believe exactly what we believe doesn't mean what they believe is wrong. Is a thing he says to his son. Right. And what
2: I'm saying is the guy that wouldn't serve O'Brien and his wife probably isn't an orthodox person believer, but yet he got riled up just like Vedic Wynn knew that people like him would.
1: Vedic Wynn is the Donald Trump of these people right now. <laughs> I wondered
3: when that was That's what he's right. doing. Yes. That, that, <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah, I never thought of this right until you started right.
1: arguing with
2: this point of view, but he's like the guy that doesn't... Right. The problem was already there, and the guy running the stand, he didn't have to be orthodox to have the problem. They wouldn't be a crowd there if it was just orthodox people is what I'm saying. That's I'm what saying, I'm saying. saying. The Bajorans have a culture problem that she knew she could manipulate
3: yeah let's be honest here this isn't about religion the bajorans have a other problem they have a racism problem right it was manifest in last week's episode and it's manifested in this week's episode that they just don't trust the others the other and i think there's a reason for that they were massacred they were enslaved they held together by nationalism and by rigid bonds of community that was sort of propped up by religion, by their nat- natural religion, but just they're a Bajoran's first sort of culture. Right. And they've been thrown in a world that doesn't, that's Roddenberry's Idic, that doesn't appreciate nationalism or anything like that.
1: Actually, another th- another theme of this whole episode is that religion is politics, and that's probably a theme of this whole season, carrying on the kind of weird yes. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Even when Cisco Definitely. goes to talk to Vedic Barile. Another thing the prophets taught you is how to be political. He just basically said, I don't have the juice to take her on yet. Right, right. <laughs> and and that's proven at the end when they do show that this whole thing was a mechanism by Vedic Nurse Ratchet. When? Vedic Wynn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a whole thing by Nurse Ratchet to assassinate the Kennedy of the Vedics, basically. <laughs> yes. And I don't think that she's actually totally unbelieving. But she's like a cutthroat kind of bitch about it and willing to do whatever whatever it takes is part of her religion, which is the fucked up thing about it. But at the same time, while Sisko, as the emissary, even though he says, don't call me the emissary, he's basically secular himself he doesn't he's like okay yeah. i can still respect their religion even though he later comes out and basically calls bullshit on everything vedic win is trying to do he still respects religion makes his son respect it even though mm-hmm. both of them are well just playing the politics of the situation yeah vedic Barile, there's nothing in this show to say that he's any more connected to the prophets than vedic Wynn is
3: No, I I think he's just more
1: useful to Cisco. so therefore we we like him. He's more of a humanist about it, which is what Star Trek... we think,
3: we think, but even if he's like a crass politician, he's definitely a crass politician for...
1: He's a little bit crass about it, but his point of view is more humanist in perspective, which is generally what Star Trek is always going to go for as the humanist perspective. Sure, sure. But it's not going to discount the religious, in this instance anyway... It's not going to call total bullshit and say all your religions bullshit.
3: See, I kind of think they do. Like my whole what am I going to change about this episode is going to be tied up into a lot of this that I sort of I think there was work. They could have improved the episode by taking a harder line, by giving that a more of a voice.
1: But we can do that. Do we want to jump into that now?
3: Well, no. One last thing I wanted to point out is like the whole sort of the sequence of Nila about to assassinate Vedic John Kennedy and all of that stuff is really well done from like a thriller perspective. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like well put together. This show does uh, filmmaking very bad just in general. Yes. And that was one (laughs) point where it's like you got the O'Brien trying to figure it all out. No we gotta do this and who could have done that? Neela was the only one that had access to that and I think you know and then like it's gotta be this and like all that and then calling Cisco, and then you see Neela sort of it's like a thriller like in the line of fire where she was John Malkovich. It's and,
1: total in the line of fire, slash Star Trek six the understudy covered country. Well.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So he gets to play Scotty, who stops the bad
1: guy. Yeah. It totally turns into that. We go slow mo and everything.
3: Yeah. Like it's super great. And all of this stuff sort of comes to a head. And it was like the first time I was like, you did a cinematic thing well. It was the first time they had done yeah. it this season. Yeah. Right.
2: So. They were making baby steps to it. Every <laughs> once in a while, we would mention in this, hey, they actually remembered this is a visual medium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, That's great. Right. <laughs> uh, every once in a while, we'll giving them props when they realize that it's a visual medium and they, they could tell a story with moving pictures. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times it feels like it could have been, you know, on a soap opera. It's just the camera's mm-hmm. just on a close-up on a face. Yeah, yeah. Just, two people are talking. Just locked down yeah. tripod. That worked last episode. Before we get into what we would change, one thing I'd like to bring up real quick and touch upon is I think that now that we it's clear that we have a new player on the board in Vedic win. She gets away clean Mm -hmm. at the end of this episode. She doesn't get caught. She's out on the loose. She's going to be a force that we're going to have to deal with later on. And it's interesting to me that as a bad guy, here we have a woman seeking power being depicted as the bad guy here Mm. in a time when I feel that we had a new kind of first lady in the white house when
3: was hillary clinton <laughs>
2: that uh, in 1993 you know three ooh. a lot of a lot of people were mis, you know didn't trust women of power is what i'm trying to say you get the feeling and i don't know if that's kind of an icky i don't know i think we can look at it two different ways one is that feminism at this point in time has brought us to the point where we have an interesting woman bad guy, where 10 years before they would have just made somebody who was going for a power grab just to be a literal bad guy. A bad dude. Can you save the president? And here we have it. Right. Now we're allowed yes. to see a woman who is allowed to be the bad guy. And that's interesting. But at the same time, is it clinging into a gross thing in the public consciousness of the time of mistrusting women seeking power.
1: Possibly. Because you set up Vedic Boreal as the good male guy, and then you have this evil... Yeah. She's mm-hmm. still playing Nurse Ratchet. Yeah, that's what I would I would say. For, I, I forgive you, and it makes you hate her all the more. Yeah, I would say that she is awful
3: tied to Nurse Ratchet, which is a different, specific kind of movie monster. Mm-hmm. I think
2: of that. Yeah, that sort of obsequious uh, sort of saccharine, sweet sort of thing. That's all surface stuff. Betty Gwyn is playing chess here. Nurse Ratchet never was. Uh, That's what the core of... No, Vedic Wynn is making moves as a power-seeking person here.
3: That she's a political person. Yeah, Nurse yeah. Ratchet
1: is like, I'm the nurse, I can do whatever I right. want. And she's that,
2: a I political see. animal.
3: I would say that you can't... It's hard to take it now from, like, we're all, like, mid-30s liberals and looking at Hillary Clinton in a totally different light than I think that probably people did in 93. But I think that I can't, just from, like, my being 13 at the time or... I can't separate Hillary Clinton from being a liberal. That was, I think, like her political identity in 1993, probably more, unfortunately for her, more than it is now. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And being sort of a crazed sort of Berkeley liberal kind of not feminazi, I think is what Rush Limbaugh would call them. And I think that Vedic Wynn is is kind of tapping into a different, more conservative, religious sort of crazy person. Oh,
1: she's definitely, she's not a effeminate. So
3: I I think it may be on the, like the, you're right about political machinations and that definitely Hillary Clinton was looked at as far more manipulative than probably any other first lady in history. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, right. Well, that's it in 1993 there, she is the one spearheading the healthcare initiative. Oh yeah. And people took exception to the fact that a first lady was trying to write law. Yeah. People were not happy that she wasn't just picking out curtains. She was actively trying to legislate. As the first lady, and it unsettled people. It
3: seems like people exceptionally hated her more than. A- that's what I'm saying.
1: But well, if it was. Because she's not a very. She's a cold person. It's easy to hate her. Oh, yeah.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah no,
1: yeah. I. I it's I, like I, she's not the most likable person.
3: That's been her political cross to bear for a long time. Yeah.
1: Yeah, let's. We shouldn't get into politics because a lot of people find it real easy to hate Hillary Clinton.
3: Right, bad reviews about it. Yeah. No, but I do think that your point is interesting that she is painted as a, as a political figure in a time where. A, A nurse ratchet looking person (laughs) kind of came on the scene. So I I, I think that's a good catch. I I don't think I would have made that association. Yeah,
1: it's a good catch.
3: And I think it's limited, but I think that it's a really good observation. And I think probably went into some, somebody was talking about it in that way in the writer's room or on set, you know? So definitely. Right.
2: How are we going to present a woman in power? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
3: So, but I do I do think that the manipulation of Neela was very similar to her manipulation of like a Billy Bibbit, the Brad Dwarf character in When Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. So I think oh
1: uh, yeah. I think
3: they were playing to they had Louise Fletcher and they weren't going to waste her. They were going to use her like Right, right. Right. They knew they could, you know, and and in a Yeah, very yeah. They way were that. definitely but you see where I'm coming verse. from. That
2: I'm thinking that...
3: Oh, no, 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 definitely. I don't think you're in the wind on that. I think there's sharp
2: eyes on that. All yeah. right, so now we can get to the next part. Yeah. Uh, what would we change about this episode? I would just
3: point out this is the only finale not written by Iris Stephen Bear. The only one.
2: Uh, of the
3: only huh. finale not written by Iris Stephen Bear huh. on the whole show. Wow. Was there a libertarian
2: okay. rally that he had to be at? Is that... <laughs> There was an Ayn Rand convention. Uh. Right. So I'm kind of a lightweight on this one, guys. So do you mind oh. if I go first? Yeah. Go for I've it. i got, well, a light, a small. First off, when I first saw this and there was the explosion, I thought, well, wouldn't it have been interesting if Keiko was actually killed in the explosion? <laughs> and then I'm like, well, that's too many dead wives, you know, with DS9. Yeah. uh huh. You know, I'm mean? like, so you can't just fridge somebody like that. So I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's not cool. My instincts were off about that. And then I thought, at one point, Miles was trying to dick around with the ship's computer. And he actually has the line. He goes, well, in this case, it's a good thing. It's a Cardassian computer, because that means I can... Easily crack the code. (laughs) Easily crack the code. At that point, instead of making a throwaway line about being a good thing... Why don't you bring up the fact that your dog lives inside the computer and your dog can help you out?
0: <laughs>
2: right, your computer I'm dog.
1: I'm sorry to to, to break right. the sound. I forgot about his yes.
2: dog. His <laughs> computer dog. That's a perfect time to call back to computer dog yes, and just and be like, "Go fetch, boy, fetch." Yeah, I can't. I can't encry- decrypt this fast enough. It's a good thing computer dog is on the job. And then, <laughs> and then you're like, "Oh, I'm watching a show where some cool shit still happens."
3: And how they would do that now is that they would just have a really extended previously on Deep Space Nine. And they would have the sequence like where, where he talks about saving the dog on the hard drive. And that would be that. But that would be all of the real world building you would have to do.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you right. ones.
3: You know, because I think like Game of Thrones does that shit all the time where they call back something from like one episode two seasons ago. <laughs> right. And they, they only explain it by tacking on an extra weird scene in the before previously on Game of Thrones. Yeah. that's all you need. They know that now. But I think back then they would have been like, well, I don't know. Are we expecting people to remember something they saw three weeks ago? So I think that was more like old. Bad
2: television. There's no Wikipedia somebody can just run to. What the fuck was O'Brien right, talking about computer right. dog for?
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. Where'd this fucking dog come from? You couldn't
3: be certain that Alan Seppenwall would write that in his review next as soon as the episode was over and that everyone would read on Twitter. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, you're right, it's right. the same thing. Alright.
2: Is that all of yours? That's all I got. I'm a lightweight this year this week.
3: Okay.
1: What would you
2: do, James?
3: My biggest issue is the whole stuff that we all that we debated on pretty furiously at the beginning of this podcast is how much would all of that be more interesting if if Vedic wasn't a comical supervillain. What if she had a point? What if she wasn't a bad guy? And if you stayed on that for a minute, I know that the episode goes away from that. But I think that they're dealing with things about religion and stuff like that. Right. That I think when I said earlier that I think that the show is decidedly on Keiko's point of view, I don't think that was a strength. Yeah. Um. I, I think it would be interesting if it was more ambivalent. See. And so that I think that by the time that you see her... Okay, I am so, I mean, she's great in this show, but casting Louise Fletcher, who everyone knows for playing one very specific, very unctuous role. And then in the scene that she has with Cisco early on, she's a bad egg. Yeah. She's a bad actor. She's acting in bad faith, and you know that basically from that scene on. And it would be really nice if if there was more of an engaging thing. And I think specifically since you have that scene where Kira is on her side. Yeah. But Kira has looked at all of the Pope options and she's backing Wynn. Well, that's Says something about Kara, and it says something about Win, and I don't think the show uses that strongly enough because we know Kara, right? We, we know she's not, we know she's not a fanatic, and we know she's not crazy. Yeah, so she arrived at that decision by some sort of logical process, and see that unfold, and then maybe the. Vi- I was thinking that if you were going to try and have this conversation about the religious issues, it would be much more interesting if everybody was a good faith player, and I know that that's how they treat it from this point on, for the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like like the Cardassians episode that's coming up early in season two. It does that. It's, it's called the Cardassians, I believe. Uh-huh. But I know that if it was a conflict between two good faith point of views, I think that you could have got a lot more interesting dynamic tension from it.
1: Yeah, I actually found it harder to believe Kira's assertion for Vedic win when she's like, no, I, I'm i one that stands for it. Mm-hmm. On paper, it makes sense because we know that she's very religious and everything. And I actually, I can be somewhat religious. And that's why I hate, yeah. like, the <laughs> fucking Kai Wen perspective of this creationist evolutionist <laughs> thing, which is... Totally Mm -hmm. bullshit. That kind of hard line, that's my religion, how dare you? I think that has no place in modern religion. It needs to be kicked out and ridiculed to the ninth degree. Any creationist kind of bullshit. You got an uphill battle there, buddy. Well, I do, but I'm a person that somewhat (laughs) believes or doesn't most of the time and tries to. Because Mm -hmm. religion is not incompatible with science. And Cisco doesn't believe that it is either. He's on my side. (laughs) But if you take the hard line and say that shit, then that's totally Mm. incompatible and you're a fucking idiot. It's taken me a while to to confront to try to not treat all people that take that hard line of perspective as idiots. But whatever.
3: And I think in the show perspective, it makes Kira look kind of
1: dumb. It does. It does, actually. Like she, and by the end of it, she mm-hmm. she sticks up for Cisco and it's like, you know, when you were giving that speech about how we're not all the devil, I was there. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I know you were there. You were standing next right beside me, you dummy. Yeah. But no, she's saying, I was there with you because I believe in what you said. And you know what? Actually, I buy that for her. She is pretty yeah. religious and settled and like, you know what? But she's not dumb. She's not a dummy. She'll realize when somebody's speaking truth and that they're not an idiot about yeah. facing facts and stuff. And that it's not incompatible with their beliefs.
3: Yeah, no. I, I That
1: has nothing to do with the thing that I would change about this episode. Well what would you change? Well, I just would say that
3: scene that you were talking about where they where she says, I'm with you, Cisco and all that stuff. I believe that that finally kills the Kira has divided loyalties crap. Yeah. That never comes up again. And so right. it was a story arc that they handled poorly, that they didn't have to handle poorly, but it's over now. And so it's that sort of bittersweet. I don't have to watch them fiddle with it anymore, <laughs> but it could have been done a lot better. <laughs> like
1: <you Right>. know? <laughs> This episode I love so much because if you cut out so many other episodes in this season... It would be a great counterpiece end of the season arc for this season. Start with him as the emissary. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels like they were working to get back to this. They did, and, and from everything I read with Michael Pillar, we're talking about Deep Space Nine as the predecessor to these Golden Age, where they had these beautiful arcs of mm-hmm. seasons. This is actually a pretty good ending to it.
3: And Michael Pillar really he talked about it as like this sort of all hands on deck, working to sort of justify what the hell the show was. Yeah, and I think that that was. The, I think that they knew that, and they put all they put their sh they put their shoulder right into making that what you just said manifest. So.
1: Because they have Neela. They kind of ham-fist Neela. They've thrown her into these few seasons, and we haven't actually had Ronald D. Moore come on yet. But she's kind of a proto-Cylon. They're too (laughs) ham-fisted. They don't know how to do a full season where she's the evil person lurking that we've known. It would have been much more satisfying if we liked her as a character
2: throughout the the whole series or whatever.
1: We barely saw Dax in this episode. My whole thing is maybe they were worried. Maybe at this time they can only keep people on if they're the stars. They probably want to get rid of Dax at this point, but she's like, you can't fire me. I'm on the opening credits. You can't have a main character that they sell as the person to throw out at the end of the season.
3: I don't know. This is the end of the first seasons where you ditch your dead weight. Oh, you know, oh, like. that
1: gets back to what I would change about this. <laughs> okay, that's what you would ditch yeah. now. Is that what you would ditch in 1993? Uh, I don't know. Neela, they can't sell her as the person that we ditch at the end of it, but they try to. They have, they kind of fuck it up. They do it half assed by introducing her three episodes early. She shows up, and we remembered her these last. We've mentioned her in these last few episodes. Mm. And then they bring her in as the turncoat. And then
3: they unfortunately recast her for like no fucking reason. I don't understand. I don't yeah, know. Yeah,
1: in a modern TV show, she would have been here since the beginning, lurking. About two thirds of the season, she would have shown mm-hmm. up as a real character after we saw her in the background. After three thirds of the she would be a big main character. And then by the finale would be when she turncoats. Agreed. Yeah. But what I would change about this episode is I would kill Dax. <laughs> 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 wow. I would pull a full Whedon on this season. Pull a full Joss Whedon. If you watch Joss Whedon shows, he introduces characters that you learn to love. We've not exactly loved Dax this whole season. Some people love Dax. Mm -hmm. You introduce her at the beginning as a main star of the cast, a main star of the show, and then you kill her because your audience is invested. That's Joss Whedon's M.O. He does it in all his TV shows. He kills one of your favorite characters. He does it in all his movies. (laughs) My favorite character from Buffy is uh, the one they killed in the last season. But anyway.
3: Yeah. Well, arguably, I think he really screwed up his owning a a multi-million dollar fortune by killing the Alan Tudor character in Firefly in the movie Fire- oh, in yeah. the Serenity yeah, movie yeah. because Netflix would totally be paying him millions of dollars to produce season two of Firefly right now. Right, right, but right. No one wants to deal, no one wants to buy it with those dead fuckers. That's what he yeah. does. Yeah, part of me would say Josh Whedon would have killed Kira especially after the episode Kira had last week.
1: Yeah, like, but, but you hear just, me out Dax has like mm. three lines in this whole show. I can read them to you. I wrote them down because I had time to do that while <laughs> okay. they were being spoken. The first line she says is 15 <laughs> minutes in You don't sound entirely convinced to O'Brien about the guy stealing his tools. And then 20 minutes later, that's 15 minutes into the show. Second line she gets is 37 minutes in is, Benjamin, we have an incoming transmission from Vedic Boral. He's on board a Bajoran transport. Second line has nothing to do <laughs> with anything. And then third line is, O'Brien's pissed off. Uh, we have an ANA file. Oh, and then she says, oh, that file is protected by a, a series of encryptions. I'll run an adaptive uh, program beginning decryption now. Third line of DAX. Doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and then she says, go ahead. Uh, didn't um, you repair Unit 2 two days ago? Uh, nothing else. And then she says something. Uh, the detectors say, appear to be functioning, Chief. And then she doesn't do anything. So she's worthless in this whole episode. Though she does get credit at the beginning of the episode for discovering the wormhole. So you kill her off in the school explosion. She's wandering in to investigate. You kill her off and then you get your audience kind of feeling sad for you. And then you get to recast that part. You you sell the worm inside of her to somebody else and you get a better actor.
2: Everybody wins. But then I went and I got to... I like that, but the only problem with your theory there is that people would care that she's dead. Yeah. Because yeah. they've handled her so poorly all season. Yeah,
1: that's what I, I'm saying. I'm just taking it from a modern perspective because Joss Whedon does that all the time. People still love him.
2: I don't know, man.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think he would have
3: killed a bigger name... And I think he was a little bit more of a sure hand. Like, right now, Mike Michael Piller it, it didn't know Joss Whedon yet. No. And we know he never, but never really because one.
1: No, I But agree. if they killed her in this first season, she would have been, like, a big thing. And people would still be talking mm. about it.
3: All that I'm thinking in my head, <laughs> they would have needed one more episode. They would have needed an ep- another Dax-centric episode. Yeah, that's probably right. Because, I mean, no one's. when's the last time anybody... When's the last thing Dax done of any importance
1: whatsoever? No, but we hate her, but... People actually loved her for some reason. Well, she gets great later on. Well, I love her later this. on.
3: She gets great. When she, she does so. that scene where she fucks. When's that scene where she fights and fucks were Fucking holodeck spoiler. Uh, uh no,
2: come on now. <laughs> that's awesome. There are people. That's good
1: stuff. No, she's definitely better later on. So I mean, that's what do I would do? But you know what. <laughs> Maybe it's better that she gets saved to do some better work. Because even she probably felt like she was getting fired after this. She had like three lines this whole episode, this whole season. I think you said when we're texting back and forth, she was waiting to get fired, right?
3: I think she is. I think she's waiting to get fired. But then two, three weeks ago, I felt like that episode where everybody got the, the vapors and they ended up arguing each other over who was going to blow up the ship because they were all possessed by demons. I felt like that was to show you right when you think your show's going to get fired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> your old show's going to get canceled, too. I felt like that was the show in the writer's room where everybody was like, fuck it. This is one of the last shows. And then they really that was like the low point to me. Dramatis Persona and then to have like back to back the best two episodes I
1: think yeah no I agree I think these probably are of the
3: season for a while we were like this is the best episode since the pilot no I think these last two episodes are miles above the
1: pilot yeah they're better than the pilot pilot was ruined by all the bad acting with Jennifer and all that stuff
3: yeah so you have like this firm boom we're we're ready you know you're like we're getting
1: into the Deep Space Nine that we like where they explore the issues like this whole religion and Bajoran they're getting the Cardassian Bajoran occupation and religion stuff that's where this show excels
2: I agree you guys want to know where this is rated as far as IMDB oh, is concerned real no. quick so we determined last
3: week that
1: it was like an 8 point nine or something
3: the wet was 8 point nine uh I'm gonna say eight
2: seven point seven. Seven point seven is what Wade said. Yeah, yes. This was has five hundred and eighty one votes, and it's a seven point seven Ooh. out of ten. Wade, you hit it on the motherfucker. head, motherfucker! What? I did not look that up before. Wade sticks the landing in the in the finale. You do look at the look yeah. at you, man. You owe me a beer or something. We we're gonna I kill was... you off for this last episode of the season, and Co- yeah,
1: coffee cream <laughs> ale is your is your lucky lucky uh, <laughs> oh, lucky juice. Oh, I can help myself to all those
2: I Probably shouldn't. But. <laughs> No, so this is, yeah. Well, guys, do we have any final thoughts? This is the last episode. We're looking forward to season two. I want to say
3: I have been struck by the last three or maybe even four episodes. Kira is found her voice. She is even to the point where I find that when she comes upon scenes where like I know how she would have played it if it was episode two, and she's making much better decisions. She's inhabiting the character. I feel like she understands the character and she understands how to convey those emotions in a smaller format instead of screaming or acting like a fourteen year old boy. I think there was some pretty intense scenes. Obviously, the last week was fucking like cavalcade of how good she is. Or last episode. But like this episode, there's scenes between her and Cisco that have real tension. Yeah. And she she conveys all that without at any point acting fake or raw. So I feel like I've given Nana visitor a lot of shit. Yeah. And I'm I'm gonna take it back.
1: That's a pretty big um Mm-hmm. We progressed pretty far for you.
3: I don't take it back. I think she, that's where she was. Oh, uh, no, I'm saying. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's where she was. But, and I yeah, think that this you were pretty hard
1: went. on her before. You're not going back on yeah. what you said before, mm-hmm. but this is pretty nice of you to say about her now. I know. Let's...
3: Now it's Hugh's turn to say nice things about O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing i'd like to say is that, that i haven't said is that she she really pulls it together and i've really not just enjoyed her performances but i've enjoyed the character which
1: i wasn't doing early in the show yeah, yeah.
3: in the last few episodes yeah all right yeah
1: yeah, I still assert if they had killed Dax in this episode, I like Dax later. But imagine what might have been different if they cast another actor. Oh, what if they cast somebody amazing as Dax?
3: Can I cast anyone like Paget Brewster? I don't uh, know. Paget
1: Brewster, that would be
3: <laughs> this. Should this actually? I love Paget Brewster. I love her I, too. I would leave my wife for Paget Brewster. Yeah. Sorry.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there's a blooper reel somewhere where they cut to uh, what's her face's addiction? <laughs> And to say, instead of saying her line, she accidentally says a line from a Becker script that she was trying to memorize.
1: Well, if they had re- if they had recast her, probably
2: were adapted
1: earlier at some point. They would have gotten a weird spot actress or something.
2: Spoilers. Oh uh,
1: yeah, we already spoiled that like seven episodes ago, man. Anybody who's
2: been fall- anybody who's been, but we're, we're dwelling yeah. on it.
1: Okay, I'm, I'm sorry. No, but actually, I do but, uh, like her later. So maybe I don't know. It's like, how do you reimagine? Reality, I don't know. So. Paget Brewster, that's yeah. how you do oh, it. Oh, yeah. Paget Brewster. Oh, man, you're just going to make me mad that they didn't <laughs> do that. <then. laughs> as much as I liked <laughs> X later, I would have so much more enjoyed Paget Brewster in that role. Yes. <laughs> All
3: right. So are we done? All right.
1: I think we're done. I think so, yeah. gentlemen.
3: Hold, up, hold on. right. Your... Three to beam out. Yeah, <laughs> hold on to your butts. <laughs> I was going to say, hold on to your Jumja sticks before he said three to beam out. <laughs> oh.
1: Well, you can say it now. <laughs>
3: Well, it doesn't matter. Now the moment it's
0: gone. Please follow us on Twitter at AcquisitionPod and on Tumblr at therulesofacquisitionpodcast.tumblr.com Send us an email at rulesofacquisitionpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com You can turn this off now. It's pretty pathetic that you are still listening. Do you not have friends, or a hobby that is not Star Trek podcast related? That is possibly why people are fearful for the future of our society. We believe in you. We know you are better than this.